step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're back to Neil Haley's show. And you know what? When I talk about, you know, lifestyle brands and how you take your your famous celebrity and create it into a lifestyle brand, it's lots of entre- um, uh, celebrities are doing this now. Myself in general as well, and I'm not a celebrity like Angie Everhart. So my guest today is Angie Everhart. Angie, thanks for stopping by. But what I've kind of always, and I'm studying these many, many actors, many, many people that have built a brand of some sort of brand, they use it to build a lifestyle brand. How are you today, Angie? I'm fantastic. How are, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's in. Are you in LA? Is it six o'clock in the morning for you? It is six fifteen in the morning. Yeah. Uh, so, so in the sixes, uh, it's nine fifteen for me. I <laughs> ended up sleeping in today. So basically, Angie, kind of tell me, you know, through your career as an actor, career as a model, what made you get into the wear that entrepreneur hat? What motivated you to try to do that? Well, that's a couple of questions in there. Um, you know, when, when, as a model, you're always promoting somebody else's brand. And I didn't actually put that hat on or even want to put that hat on until I had a life-changing moment. And uh, I had a life-changing moment that, that, that woke me up. And, <laughs> and thank goodness I'm a cancer survivor. And oh. then I wanted to change my life. So I wanted to, I had to change my life for you know, to get healthy and look at, you know, my health and wellness. And when COVID hit, I just reinvented myself. You know, I just wanted to find myself a, like a new sense of purpose that was geared towards health and wellness. So I made it my mission. And, uh, and now I'm making my, it my mission and my pay it forward. No, I think that's huge. I mean, because it's like you make your mission and paying it forward because you saw what we're putting into our bodies a lot of times is just damaging us. And we are our our health is our wealth in so many ways. And in the United States and in North America, I guess across the world, a lot of places do not invest in their health. They spend more money on looking beautiful or staying in shape, but they don't look at their health. What else we're putting on our bodies? We could be hitting the treadmill every day, working out. But it's what we, what else we do that causes us to end up like hearing stories of people having a heart attack with perfect health, right? Meaning perfect health outside, not knowing what's happening on the inside. Well, you hear all of these cliches, you are what you eat, right? And mm-hmm. for us at her, at my company's called DIA, D-I-Y-A, which is the bringer of light. So we are a women owned company and we we have, you know, saying it's beauty from the inside out. And, he, and, and really, truly, my partner and I talk about this all the time. We, we, you know, we talk about health issues. We talk about surviving all these things and, and all those cliches that really kind of aggravate you. As you get older, you see are true. <laughs> that you are what you eat. You, you have to put good things in your body to fuel your body. And, and so that's what I did. I bought, I ended up, buying a health and wellness company that has, you know, different products, different, different brands, actually, from all the way from, you know, food to, to probiotic, probiotics to, to oral health and actually started with oral health. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and you kind of studied from having cancer that you didn't put, even though you were I'm very disciplined, I'm sure. Uh, for your 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 health, that you didn't understand some of the things that products that we're putting in our bodies, it's really damaging us. As a model, I don't know how you know disciplined. Sure, yes, we were we're disciplined to not eat. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, we weren't a tic tac. A tic tac. Right, Angie. Right. A tic tac. Yeah. Yeah, we weren't disciplined to eat right. So there's a difference there. You know, I didn't learn how to eat right until much later in my life, and. And, and to put nutrients in my body, I just, I just, 
when I'm in my twenties, I, I ate very little. <laughs> so that was, um, you know, modeling, the modeling lifestyle for me personally was not as healthy as some other girls. Cause, but I was, you know, I, I learned later in life and I'm, and I'm really appreciative that I survived all of that. And I got to be even smarter. You know what I mean? It's, How did you change your lifestyle once after you survived cancer? How did you change your lifestyle? Like differences of eating, uh, I guess, sleeping, all the different parts of your lifestyle. All of it. I, you know, when I actually had a girl named Carol Alt call me on one of the first days that, that it actually was leaked. And she told me about um, the water I should drink, alkaline water, and I should never put a, an underwire bra on and, and that I should be eating greens and that I should be eating all these, all these different foods and, you know, that would promote my health and wellness and, and sleep, sleep, you have to sleep. And so I started little by little throwing out all the bad water and changing my water and changing my habits. And once you do that, I think it's like 45 days, you get into a routine of doing something different. And I really made a conscious effort to change my life and change my son's life. I mean, I'm not saying that we don't like, you know, a gummy bear around here, but we, yeah. we, we um, you know, we, uh, we try to incorporate this in our, in our everyday life. So it's a lifestyle. I try to be uh, gluten-free a lot, even though I don't have like any right. issues. I did, and, and I really try to focus on that. Once uh, I was in my process, my separation, now divorce, I really have focused on my health saying I'm only eating certain foods. I'm focusing right. also on making a comeback, Angie. I, I'm a former professional wrestler who is making a comeback at 51 into the ring after not being in it since 29. So it's crazy. And the reason I decided to do it is more, hey, branding, right? I have a marketing agency, uh, podcast agency, and I'm like, I want to continue to grow my brand. So what am I going to do? Do some publicity stunt, but it's really not a publicity stunt. I'm going something that I love, but now I'm looking at all what I'm eating health, but I've always, I've seen that. Guess what? Our problem is we get caught up in life and we forget what we're eating and we just stress ourselves out to the, the point of no return. And then what happens is we don't know that we're a ticking time bomb that, you know, when we're through this stress, when we don't sleep enough, when we don't take care, eat, our, eat the proper foods or nutrition, or really look at those ultimate things are, we are really taking years off our lives. We can live a long, happy life, uh, not in a wheelchair, not in a, an assisted living or, or uh, if we, if we take care of ourselves. Well, yeah. Have you seen Bear Organics? You should What'd look you at Bear Organics. You should look at bearorganics.com because okay. you'll love it because a lot of our products are gluten-free vegan. You know, oh. We just won, we just won best functional health product. We had 40,000 people write us as number one with, for, our, for our for Focus Coffee, which is great for you on a podcast if you got to focus on someone or yes. your life or students who are trying to focus. It's, we had, you know, it's gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, keto and paleo-friendly. And, you know, sometimes when you drink coffee or um, you get that acidy feeling, it's low in acid. So it's it's almost like the perfect coffee, I think. <laughs> Focus. No, no, it's, 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 it sounds like it. I'm, 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 I'm in, you see, you're, you, and I didn't know about this interview until just speaking, uh, half an hour ago. I'm, speaking, so, I'm yeah. speaking words of, 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 uh, of joy to you. Yes. 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 I'm definitely Are, checking that out. So as, as in, you know, as myself doing marketing myself, you know, and also really focusing on leading through podcasting to build out marketing and, content and social media and all that stuff with my agency, I learned so much the process of, of brand story and how important things and the people that you are wanting listening to this broadcast today on my national syndicated radio show, and then putting it out to my YouTube channel and also television. I, what you learn is specifically is that speaking to people about what they should be doing. Cause like I said, gluten-free is just, people say, I can't live like that. It's, it, it's so different. Go to Bear Organics. Yeah. 
you can go to Bear Organics. So there you I go. Promise. I love it. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you because I'm 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 merciless because I love this brand, and and when I acquired it, I acquired it with with a with a friend of mine, Renee, and we are a women-owned brand, and we we absolutely live for making a product better and healthier. And we strive for that. We strive for that exact thing. And it's quality, not just, you know, if when we say it's, when we say it's organic and bare organics, we have, it is a hundred percent USDA. So we are, I'm really proud of this company. I I know. So how much did you, once you acquired it? I've been an actress, I've been a mom. Which is the yeah. I'm, you know the mom was the mom one is the best one for me and now oh. I'm a CEO and I'm 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 very proud of the life and life choices that I've made. So let me ask you a question: you know, How much did you make changes to the company once you acquired it? What like as because everyone likes that listens to I my haven't. show, huh? Which is it? I, I haven't. Oh really? You so you I have really not made changes. The the one the actual the one thing that's diff, that's not true. I wanted to do give back. When I acquired it, they were not doing any give back. And for me, coming from Hollywood and seeing all the tick, 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 I wanted to give back to people. I wanted to give back to the farmers. I wanted to give back to the people who were in direct contact with our raw ingredients. And I want you know that's a that is the biggest part of our of the change in Dia and Bear Organics is we are giving back to where we source our products, and and that for me is what makes my heart beat extra hard. It's no, it, it's yeah. it's it's contributing back and giving back to the planet and giving back to you know I call Mother Earth, but it really is Mother Earth when you're when you help the farmers and you help wherever you know, where everything comes from, because those are the people who usually suffer and work really hard. <laughs> you don't, you don't necessarily know how your product comes into fruition until you're really diving in, or you look at a, you, so people go to a grocery store and they look at ingredients, but there's so much more involved into making a product and a really quality product. And, you know, bare organics, we start from the, the, the soil on up. And the soil has to be organic soil. You know, you have to you have yeah. to go organic. That's oh it. no it's doubt, a whole it, it, process in regular farming. You know, and I honestly think they don't want us to live forever. And it, especially, <laughs> you know, we want to go to space someday, right? We want to have a be able to be part of the colony on Mars at one point, right? At least visit Mars. So we have to that live. That reminds me of that Queen song. Yeah. <laughs> you want to yeah. live forever. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, the whole live forever. Oh, you know, it's gonna happen like sleeves. What what, what show was that? I'm forgetting what uh, series in Netflix that was where the the they kept buying sleeves and you could have like seven lives or something. Go figure. But <laughs> you know, but that's why you got to take care you of yourself. Never know. No, you never know what your technology is gonna be at one point in time. So don't miss out because today's fifty is thirty. And I'm, uh, well, you know, I tell you, I like the sleeve that I got on this life. So I'll keep this sleeve going. We'll, we'll just, okay. We'll just, but, but, I'll, uh, I'll get, I'll redo the sleeve when I'm about 30. <laughs> okay. Now, so, so that's the that thing one. is so for sure. And that's the thing uh, for sure. And I'm glad to hear your health. Are you acting anymore or do you have any other projects going on? You know, I, during, during COVID, I just decided, you know, I stopped and I was painting and I was wanting to reinvent myself, basically, and I will pick and choose projects that I really want to do and probably that I have more control over rather than other people's projects, just because when you get older, you want to work with your friends, you want to do things that are important to you, and I'm more about giving back right now. My life is, is a dedication, and I'm dedicated to giving my son, you know, the the best life possible. And I, you know, I have, uh, I have such a great kid and he inspires me to be better every day. So I'm, I'm truly, truly, truly blessed when it comes to, to a life and a beautiful life, but I work hard. I really work hard. It's not like, I'm sure a CEO of a company, I know this, I'm working six, you know, it was, 
it was, you know, it, this was a whole decision because I was painting and enjoying myself. And then I bought four companies and bare organics, super organics, oral gin and probiogen. Now I went from painting in Santa Monica and enjoying my life to working 20 hours a day. And- exactly. But it's a love because it's your <laughs> brand and you're making a difference. And I'm so what website one more time, Angie, for people. There's a couple different websites. You can go to bareorganics.com and you can go to Dia B Well, Dia with the letter B W E L L dot com. Dia B Well. Dia is our parent company and it is the meaning of we it's the bringer of light. All right. And uh, you can find us in Sprouts, um, Amazon and bareorganics.com and all the all the different brand names.com. Awesome. Well, I, I'm looking forward to checking it out. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show, and my guest today is Anson Williams. Anson, thanks for stopping by from Happy Days and much more. We talked a lot about Crazy Mama. We're going to get to that, but I love want to hear about philanthropic things. And let's talk about Doors of Change. Because, Anson, oh, yeah. the bottom line is if we're not helping people, with when we get certain platforms like we both have been blessed to have in our lives and an influence, and we don't use that influence to help others, we're really missing out in life. Oh, well, that's the whole purpose is leaving it a little better, right? Right. Well, we really, actually, Gary Marshall was very responsible, uh, influencing all of us early on. He said, you, he said, you guys are going to be famous. There's going to be a light on you. Make sure you take that light and shine it on people that you can help. Take that platform, other people, their hard work, and make sure they're successful. So we've lived by that. 50 years. This is the 50th anniversary, 50, 50th year anniversary of Happy Days. Can you believe it? Oh, my we went gosh. On 50 years ago. 50 years ago. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, but Gary was a big part of that. So we all do that. We, if we can help, we're there. We're there, every one of us. And doors have changed. I mean, I am so proud that I'm, I just I, I, I get to be able to to talk about it and, and do a little bit help from my side a little bit. The man who did the hard work is Jeffrey Sitkov, and he created Doors of Change 22 years ago in San Diego. And it, there's over four million homeless kids on the streets here in America. He has helped thousands of them. Doors of Change brings these kids off the street. You know, clothes them, feeds them, medical, all that. But more than anything, it created this very unusual, wonderful arts program. Because these kids come off the street and they're hardened and you can't get to them. But through music and through the arts, he's able to patiently, quietly bring down the barriers where these kids actually start loving themselves again. And they become very productive young people. Uh, these kids from the street, they're dentists, they're lawyers, they're doctors. They're engineers. The success rate is crazy good and long-term. And if people go to doorsthechange.org, they can learn all about the marvelous work Jeffrey's done and all that. All the funds go to these kids. But what, what we want to do, is, I mean, we do, this is San Diego, but there should be chapters of Doors of Change in every city of this country. And if people go to doorsthechange.org, they can learn all about it. They can call Jeffrey, and you can literally you can create your own doors of change in your community to help kids on the street in your community. Very important, very effective, and uh, I can't I'm, I just I can't promote this organization enough. It's just a tremendous asset to children all over the country. It it totally is, and it, the homeless kids should not be homeless. Kids should not be abused no. either. So the, so the no. homeless leads to abuse uh, types of environments because we define homeless a little differently than maybe our listeners understand, right? The homeless doesn't mean that they're on the streets. Sometimes homeless means that they literally don't, they don't have a place that's a permanent place to live, right? Right, right. Well, it's a combination, but a, a lot are on the street. I mean, literally living on the street. And that comes from broken homes. You know, you know, dysfunctional parents. I mean, all sorts of reasons. But it's grown exponentially in, in the last 10, 20 years. Huge. And uh, but there are ways to help. There are ways to help, and that's doors of change. And every community can be part of doors of change. And you can actually get some very. You can get these kids off the street. 
and 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 give it, and give them productive lives. And these kids, the kids that go through this, they're helping other kids now. So it echoes through. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, be strong. I'm so, so passionate about people getting involved with Doors of Change and, and uh, becoming part of them. No, I totally hear you. It's uh, it, it, for sure. And uh, you're excited because you're going to be there, right? That's another part of it, right? You're going to. Well, yeah. Well, well San Diego. Um, Concerts July 27th in San Diego, and it stars Casey with Sunshine Band. It's a big fundraiser, uh, and I'll be co- I'll, I'll be uh, co-hosting that. And it, it, it's and it's a it's just a fa- it's a fabulous it's a fabulous show, and uh, and also major celebrities like Elton John and Billy Joel and the Stones they've all contributed to, uh, to sign guitar, whatever. All these kind of valuable items they donated that will be auctioned off um so it's just it's just jeff jeffrey has hit the hearts of of so many uh and the results are just incredible just incredible for 20 thousands of kids who've gotten off the street that's that's crazy man it's so good to hear something like this happen and you who else are there going to be other people than casey in the sunshine band and yourself other people else will be attending um, I, you know, so far I'm sure there will be, but I, that's who I know right now. Well, I, I want to join. I hope. To... Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, Anson. Go well, ahead, Anson. If, if they go to, um, if they go to doorsofchange.org, it, 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 it'll always be updated. So they'll know exactly what's going on. Well, you know, the way I know you so well, Anson, is because you have the greatest publicist in the world and that's Harlan Ball. Harlan is tremendous. Yes. I wrestled. I mean, I wrestled. Oh my gosh, what in my brain? I've interviewed so many of his great stars, and he does such great work. I'm going to reach out to them, and hopefully, I can attend and be there, Anson. Uh, and I have some uh, foundation I'm working with right now that I'm on the board, and it's involving. Uh, pregnant women in need. So we definitely need to talk about that because there are children that are pregnant or on the streets as well. So there could be some good collaborations moving forward with doors of change and what we're doing. And we'll definitely have to have that conversation uh, for sure. Now let's talk about crazy mama. You know, after I interviewed you, Anson, I had Carolyn Hennessy on and man, oh man, that story. It's so amazing what your wife's doing with this and how you're doing this and getting Carolyn. It's a, it's a great, project isn't it oh it's well it's 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 a uh, so my wife wrote it but she's an award-winning writer and uh she, she wrote these award-winning like short memoir pieces about her upbringing she um it's a true story i mean it, 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 she had a normal just a normal life and everything's great she comes home one one day from school eight years old and she walks in and her mom had a psychotic breakdown Will she ever get her mother back? It's a it's a story of love and madness. But the show itself also has a blues player, uh, Luke Wygodny. So music's very much a part of it. But it tells the story that's that's just a powerhouse. It's entertaining, but it also gets into mental illness and the effect of it. But also the hope. It's such a rocky ending. I'm not going to get into it. It's such an inspiring show. Families that come in walk out of the theater closer. And what's so interesting, we were doing crazy mama workshops here in um, um, California. And I've never, I, there were standing ovations at intermission, at intermission. That's how it had affected people so deeply. Cause everyone, even you, you, you might not have that kind of problem in your house, but everyone has something. Everyone has a mom. There's always something. It hits people on so many different levels in a real positive, emotional way, healing way. Uh, and I just can't wait. We're gonna be opening at Bethel Woods, um, April 12th, uh, in Bethel, New York. That's where the original Woodstock took place. And now it's this huge complex and they're gonna go into theater and we were the first play they picked. And I have the honor of directing it. And uh, so we'll be, uh, we'll be opening there April 12th. And, uh, and by the way, Carolyn's schedule changed. So now Lee Purcell will be playing the lead. Oh, okay. Uh, at okay. Bethel Woods. Okay. And it's, okay. It's, I can't, it's just, it's a fabulous, uplifting, important show that, uh, again, also educates, also helps. And with mental illness in our country right now, uh, it's nice to have a show that's that tactile and connectable. 
And uh, I think, I th and I think, and we're going to be touring it with with a few actors all over the place. I think it's going to have tremendous influence. Well, Anson, we're definitely going to have that back on the show to talk about that again further. And Lee is now on it, so I have to. I know that I've talked to Harlan to get to interview her, and it's just such a great project. Yeah. And I hope it gets to Broadway. I know this is the first step, right, Anson? If you do well yeah. here, you yeah. never know. Well, that, well, that's we're sure trying. I think I, we're, I think we have a good chance. I think we're going to get it to Broadway. You know. Well, and if that I, happens, I, Anson, I'm coming to Broadway to see you for sure. No doubt. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. When Pittsburgh to New York will be on Broadway, you know, just got to manifest it and it will happen. Anson, best place people can connect with you is, is uh, your website and social media. You know, I'm so bad. You know, I, I have a Facebook. It's open. They can connect with me there. But as far as, uh, as far as, as far as George the Change, George the Change.org. And, the other, and then, and then Bethel, BethelwoodCenter.org, uh, or they can go to Ticketmaster for Crazy Mama. All right. Appreciate it, sir. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Uh, the Neil Haley Show, and I first want to welcome my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series and owner of Hollow Man Publishing. Paul, how are you? And uh, we, I know you're excited about our guest. I'm always excited to have our, our next guest on here, Mina Valentine. She is a wonderful um, historical romance writer, and uh, you all need to read her books. So welcome, Mina. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to talk to you because you brought up the Four Horsemen series. Yes. Your romance novels that are coming out soon to a theater near you. But we have not talked about <laughs> characters of the Four Horsemen. So let's kind of tease some characters okay. for your fans so that we can learn a little bit about your characters. Okay. Um, the first character is, um, he is a marquee. His name is Martin Claymont, and he sees a woman, and he, her name is Muriel, and she's <laughs> very uh, unique, but he sees her for like two minutes, and he searches for her, because um, he was in love with her before he even got to, to know her. Um, and then when he met her, it was even better. So that's the first one. And then the second one is Frederick, Frederick Winham. And he is best friends with Martin. And his love interest is a woman by the name, or a lady um, by the name of Margaret. And um, they've kind of known each other but they got thrown together um, in the first book. So the first book kind of gives people an idea of who these two are. So do, um, we, do we introduce all the four horsemen in the first book or not? Yes, yes. Okay, yes. Are, are they, how, how have they become a, a clan, Stephanie? Um, I mean, Mina, Mina, you got yeah. <laughs> um, Well, Frederick, and Martin grew up together. They um, grew up in Bristol. Mm -hmm. um, so, and their their families were marquees, and so now they're marquees. The other two gentlemen, um, they're both earls, and they went to uh, all four of them went to Eton. So they met in Eton, and they became really close. So um, I told you about the two. The, the third one, who I'm starting to work on now, I love him. Uh, I love all of them, but when I start writing them, I really <laughs> fall for him. Um, but his name is John Herbert, um, and he's an Earl. And um, they there's something that happens in the second book that, kind of hooks him onto this one girl. So you'll find out about her. How um, are men at that time compared to men today when it comes to uh, romance? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, um, there were a lot of protocols um, uh, in, they call it the ton. Um, maybe it's not, tune, the tune. Um, 
they they had to court them. There was a certain amount of time. They had to post um, things in their church for six weeks. Um, there had to be approval. They signed a contract. Um, mm. the, the, the man proposing had to meet the father um, because the, the bride-to-be would have a dowry. And so they would work on that. What What's the girl getting? What's the father willing to give? Those kind of things. It's um, a lot different. But there were also um, a, a lot of, uh, a lot more loose sex, I guess you could say. Um, it was a lot more proof for men to have uh, mistresses. And how does that work in a romance novel, having mistresses? It doesn't spell well to the people read as reader, the reader uh, people, especially primarily women uh, read no. their books. No, uh, because my, my couples fall in love. And so um, they never have another mistress. They may have in their past, um, but going forward, they fall in love. And when you love somebody, you don't want to do that. And so they really fall in love with their wives. Um, and the wives ask them, are you going to do that? Because I won't marry you if you're going to do that. And they go, why would I want to do that? I love you. So it's it really is a happily ever after, ever, ever after. <laughs> That's great. And uh, of the characters of the men, how did you come up with ideas of how they act and talk and walk and all that? Well, um, I've known a lot of men um, and I've known a lot of older men. And some of the older men are uniquely different. They're a little more reserved. Um, a, a stoic sort of sometimes and so martin's that way he's um very reserved um and so is john the other two are a lot more gregarious there's um they make jokes they gallop. You, know, you know where i'm going to go to this from this next of these four men you probably dated all of them or been married to some of them potentially <laughs> <laughs> married to one i'm not i'm just saying or have had serious relationships with some of their characteristics. Oh, I well, I've known a lot of men um, in my business. My businesses with my businesses, um, probably ninety percent of my um, business was with men. So, um, and I have a, a bachelor's and a master's degree in psychology. So, I kind of. Uh, can get them you know what Got i mean it. and so this is why people should also read the books is because this is exactly what women should look for in men are these four horsemen it sounds like absolutely i think the one thing that women today need to do is learn the man before they dedicate themselves to them i would expect um my husband to open my door, pay for my meal, um, help me put my coat on, those kind of things um, they did back then. Um, and are and men I, not doing that as much anymore? Uh, I hear that from other women and I castigate them. I tell them, that's your fault. And if they won't do it, you need to find someone else because that's respect. I, to me, um, and I may be offending some women out there, but to me, it's a, a sign of respect. Um, maybe some of the younger girls don't think that's um, important. Right. But for people my age and maybe older, I think it's very important. And I think as I talked about off air in my, now I do have a girlfriend, but at the time I was doing a lot of dating after my marriage, I learned specifically enough 
what women really want. And a lot of women have gotten really thrown the wrong bag and they're really, they're being choosy and they're going to wait. Yes. They want it's They are going to stand their ground. They're not going to settle for anyone. And That's that good. makes it very, very difficult for men to find somebody after a divorce compared to maybe 20 years ago, where it was a lot easier. Women are willing to be alone than settle. Do you agree with me on that? Right. And so I think it behooves the gentleman to learn um, the, the old etiquette because women like that. You know, the women that are divorced, they look for a man that's going to respect them and, and care for them. And be an alpha them. man too? You think they're all alpha males, all four of the ho four horsemen? Um, I would say two, maybe, I would say two of them are definitely alpha males. Um, one teeters and the, the other one is just crazy. <laughs> all right. Well, this is a great conversation. People definitely need to just search Mina Valentine on Facebook, Mina Valentine, author on Facebook, and her personal page. You'll be able to spot her easily. And uh, very soon, the books will be out. The website will be out. Oh, it's all so happening. I'm so excited, and I hope people will read it and like it. Um, and I hope they like this interview because, I, you know, I might have sound a little dated. <laughs> That's okay to sound dated because those are the people who are going to buy. We're going to find out that target market. Well, we appreciate it, Mina. Thank you, Thank Paul you. Hollis, author.com, myself, neilhaley.com. And I appreciate it, guys. And we'll talk live very, very soon. Okay. Bye. Oh, and I'm excited to welcome first my co host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series and owner of Hollow Man Publishing and American May VA. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we we have another great author with us, and and also a publisher. Um, she she owns uh, uh, Lilacs in in literature. Yeah. I hope I said that right. Um, uh, it's a it's a Christian Christian publishing company. So um, she's going to tell us all about that today. So welcome, Wanda. Well, thank you. I am super excited to be here. Thank you for having me today. All right. So let's talk sure. about. Did you always want to be a writer, Wanda? So. I didn't realize that was something you could be, you know, um, it wasn't something I was really encouraged to do as a kid. Um, it, it, so it didn't seem like something I could pursue, but I have always written um, since I was little, that's typical for authors. And it wasn't till I think around 2013 and uh, my daughter was graduating high school and I was like, gee, I need something to do. And um, I decided to look into actually writing and publishing. Okay. All right. So when did you write your first book? Um, the first one that I wrote and published was 2014. 2014. And mm -hmm. that's probably what made you also want to create your publishing company is the challenges of publishing your book, right? You went through a uh, lot of different challenges. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. What kind of challenges did you go through? Well, because I didn't know anything about anything, um, I paid what was called a vanity press at the time, um, a lot of money to publish my first book. And it's not that that wasn't money well spent because I did not know how to format. I wasn't in touch with editors. I didn't know how to find the art for my covers. So, I mean, it was worthwhile to have my book, you know, see it in live print and get it up on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. All that. all that was really good, but I realized I had no control over it. And that was um, my biggest frustration. And what do you think the mistakes sometimes vanity publishers make when it comes to marketing their author's books? And also, keep giving them good numbers of what books were sold, giving them encouragement. They just care about getting the money a lot of times and that's it. Right. That they did. I didn't feel like they marketed it at all. They might have said they put it in like their magazine or, or online or something, but I did not get any sales until I started um, doing Amazon ads and things like that. So interesting. You talked about Amazon ads. We're interested in hearing about that. So basically you used Amazon ads to get book sales when you were with your books. 
Um, so not when it was with the Vanity Press, because I had no control over it. Right. Um, so when I uh, published that book, I started promoting, you know, like on Facebook and things like that. And I came across um, a woman who was a virtual assistant. And she's the one that said, oh, hon, <laughs> you, you got to take this back. And fortunately, the Vanity Press was such that I had not sold them the rights to it. I could take it back. But I was really worried about doing that off the bat. I didn't know if I could figure everything out. So I had a second book that I had written. So I worked through that second book at figuring out how to do all those pieces. And once I got that up and running, then I went back and took the first book back. And once I had control, then I started um, taking some classes on Amazon ads and being able what to- What did you see about Amazon ads? Because people were really big on the Facebook ad thing, what kinds of things, and I'm sure you give your publishers advice, but the problem is it's expensive. Ads are not cheap. They can be cheap at the start, but you really got to invest in your book to really think you're going to get that money back and then some, not just yeah. nickel diming. Right, that's the truth. Um, you know, when I started with Amazon ads, um, I'm sure you probably heard of Brian Cohen who puts out the school- um, on Amazon ads. And I took his little class that was free and worked at trying to figure it out. And, um, <laughs> you know, honestly, I spent more money than I made. So I can't say I'm successful at Amazon ads, but I'm not done yet. You know, I'm okay. So, okay. I'm glad you, you, you're admitting that. See, this is the conversation we have with all our authors is mm -hmm. we have a publishing company as well, Paul and I, and mm -hmm. this is when I'm doing this live stream, I'm trying to have more conversations with my listeners. This is yeah. something I'm doing. And especially we're live stream because you never know who's going to pop up. But right. the thing is the challenge of being a book author is such a big one. I'm going to tell you a course you need to take right now. And I keep okay. promoting this and I'm waiting for Alex Hormozzi to say acquisition.com really gives you the ins and outs of how to market anything. And the both courses are free. I also have a live on Media Giant Marketing Podcast, which I've not launched yet, that showed free courses for everything involving marketing. It's going to be really interesting. I'm going to look into that and then my team will implement it because I have a team, my agency has a team, but authors, it's a challenge. So yeah. that would be a, a yeah. big, big step in looking at things. Well, let's talk about your books. And then also some of your, and, and, you know, your publishing company and who you've published, but go ahead and tell me a little bit about some of your books throughout. So um, my very first one is called the, uh, the Lilac Princess, and it's a chapter book for ages like seven to 11. I published two more chapter books, not necessarily related, um, A Turtle's Magical Adventure and Gloria and the Unicorn. Well, then I was at book events and I came across somebody who wrote picture books and I have always loved rhyming poetry. And I was like, I would really like to do that. So I wrote a book called Little Birdie Grows Up and it's about a little bird who grows up, of course. And that was, you know, uh, as a mom, you know, my child growing up and leaving the nest. Well, I put it in a reader's favorite, you know, the international contest. And it won second place in its category um, for coming of age, I think, or something like that. And so I was super excited to finally like um, earn um, some sort of award yeah. that proved that uh, it wasn't just me that thought I could write, you know. Oh, that's got to feel good. It yes. did. It did. I was super excited. I went to the um, in-person award ceremony down in Miami. It was super fun. And um so then I wrote some other picture books. My um, biggest seller is my Frankie series. He's Frankie the Flamingo. And uh, the first one is Frankie the Finicky Flamingo, uh, based on my daughter, who was super finicky, didn't even like PB&J. Um, so, you know, that was that. And then the next one was uh, Frankie the Thirsty Flamingo. And it's about <laughs> um, keeping water uh, clean and litter, uh, picking up litter good um, Earth Day kind of book. And then uh, Frankie the Friendly Flamingo, which is kind of anti-bullying. And then the next one is Frankie the Fearless Flamingo, which is using your strength for good. Um, and so that's my series, Frankie, and the kids love him and he's he's great. Um, and and then I wrote- Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going, sorry. You have a lot of books. Uh, could, could you with I do, I have like 14. And then I have a Halloween book, Haley the Halloween Cat and the Search for Biddy the Bat. 
and then uh, a Christmas book called um, Oh Sophia the the Christmas Eve Snow Bunny and the Real Gift. So I decided to do some holiday um, things, and so then um, I am part of an anthology, and it's um, the Mermaid and the Genie, which is in that anthology. I haven't published it separately, but um, I have the artwork and stuff. I just need to do it. Um, and then I started into um, biblical fiction, which if anybody's heard about The Chosen, um, that yes. is actually biblical fiction. I interview many yeah. people from The Chosen. I marry on from not Mar um, Mary, the 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 one not Mary, uh, I forget her, mm -hmm. Catherine is her name. And then I've had many other people from Judas to John to, you have to go check all these different things. I've interviewed all the people from The Chosen. I so yeah. will. I so will. And so this book, um, it just came from like, I was just meditating one day. It was called The Cloak. And it's about the soldier, the Roman soldier that won Jesus's yeah. cloak at the foot of the cross and what oh. might have happened. So it's, it's kind of like, it's definitely biblically sound, but then what might have happened is the, the fiction part. And a short story, I put it in a, a awards, you know, a local award contest, did not win a thing, but I reached out to the organizer and she said, well, the judges had, you know, some disagreement. Um, I'm sure the judges weren't necessarily all Christian. And so she said, but I came in ninth out of 50. So I felt pretty good about that. And so I've started writing more of those. They're, they're short stories. And um, at the end, there is the salvation prayer. And I mean for them to kind of be given away. Now, I can't publish them at a price that's easy for people. to. They're $5, you know. And, and I wish it was, you know, not like that, but, you know, people don't mind spending $5 to, you know, give stories away that might, you know, help people relate to something and, and maybe bring them to salvation. So I had the cloak and then the veil, which oh. was um, a Jewish boy who was a witness for the veil tearing when Jesus passed. So fantastic. Yeah, do you publish other coming. people's books too, or is it just yours? So I do not. I I did create it just for me. I haven't oh, okay, gone. Okay, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Also, we're we're doing for for what you did yourself for other people, and we're doing mm -hmm. it at an affordable rate, not the ten mm -hmm. to fifteen thousand dollars. We're more on yeah. the ranges between two to five thousand with audiobook too. That's not a uh, bad price, right? No. Would mm -hmm. you? Yeah, and. Also providing them the right ideas of marketing, sales, all the things when we come, because we're, I'm a marketing agency that started a publishing company. So I'm sick and tired of people creating, you know, these vanity publishing. What did Paul, you're hearing numbers of 12,000. You see, you hear that all the time and, you know, to publish the book, get it all the different places, cover art, all those different things, promise them to be a bestseller, but it really doesn't yeah. do anything. Oh my gosh, Wanda. It, it right. is, they just take their money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly and the challenge for authors is how many books you can sell so Wanda best place people can find information on you where can they go um so probably my website it's um you know Wanda Luthman my full name uh dot wordpress.com you know or is it at wordpress I don't know it's been a while since I have looked at it but um I, I can I will Okay, you just check it out, Wanda. We appreciate it. We'll have to put it into the show notes for sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Oh, my guest again today, and I'm excited, is Lefty from Legacy Filmmaker or Left Terrace, wherever you want to call it, Legacy Filmmaker. And I think what's really cool about what you do before we get to this topic is you help tell people stories. I think that a lot of people have stories to tell hard work and blood, sweat, and tears, how they got to become successful in what they do. And they don't have a platform, a book. No one reads books anymore. I think even though I'm a publishing company, I want to go to the audio. That's why we do the audio books. But when you talk about a video, that's going to live on forever. As you could see in some of the stuff I still have out in wrestling from 27 years ago, will a podcast live on? Will a book that someone wrote 27 years ago? I don't think so, but a film will be a lifetime legacy. So the hard topic today we're going to talk about is specifically Tyler Perry and how he's going to not invest another $900 million into his studios for funding. He's decided not to do it. Why has he decided not to do it? 
Yeah, from what I gathered, it's it's the whole Sora craze. OpenAI, you know, we saw last year with Chat GPT, and that was like the biggest hot thing. And now they're kind of at it again with Sora creating these 60-second AI-generated videos. Now, we're obviously still at the infancy stages. I don't really know why Tyler Perry would be like super petrified of not like putting the pause on his studio essentially to do that because even even with the 60 second generated image from all the research that I've done and all the other people that I've reviewed and those who have had the opportunity to use it within four to ten seconds there are glitches in those videos they're not a hundred percent perfect but I can I can understand the fear from the videographer side I don't necessarily think cinematographers are going to be, uh, you know, out of business, at least not for, you know, the next 20 years or so. And quite frankly, even if somebody was to take me out or AI was to take me out 20, 30 years from now, I mean, I I'm going to be almost, I'm going to be pushing 60, 70. So it's like, do I really care to produce massive films when I'm that old? I probably just want to hang out and chill and, you know, enjoy the I, I just don't think AI is going to do it. We'll give an example. This is no knock against foreign films, but Netflix pretty much has foreign films on their platform as choices. And once I see right. the dub, unless it's a great story, I'm out. Why would we be interested in AI actors and people and stories that are not real people? I don't, even in the futuristic movies that were out there they never showed ai generated as the ones because they don't show a personality they're not able to bring a certain character what are you going to be fan, uh, fans of a specific ai thing i think this is a tyler perry doing a publicity stunt i yeah. think that he was hurt based on uh the whole writer's strike and he wants to set a tone to hollywood saying i'm not going to put up with this I think it has more to do with the writing side than what he said. However, he could be concerned about that because they went and settled for anybody that has a brand, you can't generate their AI thing. So for example, in Star Wars, where you saw Princess Leia come back after she died, well, then you can yeah. just keep letting these actors keep acting and throw them in films with nobodies or AI generated people. And the strike was able to stop that, right? So now the next phase is we can just create content and storylines and entertain people without real actors. Yeah. I don't see that happening. I don't no. think it's going, I don't think people are going to let that gel because here's the thing. If you watched iRobot, you watched other technology, they were never, a robot was never able to take on a personality of a human being. Yeah. So I would like to dive deeper. Do what do you think in diving deeper? Do you think the fact is that, you know, that he's really concerned about sores or a publicity stunt? Because everyone wants to get publicity if they don't not been getting their fame out there. I mean, Honestly, Elon's like, I, I, the I, biggest I, person. To, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of a publicity stunt and it's a bit of, you know, actual fear. But you know, no matter what AI like regardless of what AI softwares and tools and whatever come out, there has to be regulations because I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to put millions and millions of people out of work all over the world. I mean, that's the plan. That's what's going to end up having sense. 50 to 60% of people are going to be out of the workforce lefty in the next it does, it does, five it, it years. Does it, economically, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, See, make but sense. it goes back to if you don't, and it's going to happen in the United States for sure. I think Canada will put certain restrictions. I think Europe will put certain restrictions, but the United States will not be able to, and it's a big machine and they'll put them home on at home on welfare or specifically it's, it's another phase. So we talked yeah. about the horse and buggy. We don't need a driver for the horse and buggy. We don't need a horse anymore. A car yeah. came it's technology. How can now like, let's talk about the machinists how all these people that were on assembly line were, re were replaced by machines. Then they had to find an operator for machines. Yep. It's going to go back to education. 
You're going to have to educate people to learn AI. You're going to have to have better scientific backgrounds in schools. And they're going to have people are going to have to become more creators and not assembly line workers. Then if you, they can get that analytical creative end, and then you look at the people who are for at least the next 10 years that can do something with their hands, they're going to be the most employable for the rich. So this is how I look at things in 10 years when they're robots, then you're going to need someone who to operate those robots, but there's going to be a lot of people out of work. So if people are sitting idle and not trying to become more technologically savvy, not embracing technology, they will fall just like the steel mills fell in Pittsburgh, just like other places that were de deprived. I don't think regulations are going to stop this, man. Like, I think, I think where the biggest, the biggest benefit is for it is probably generating models in seconds. Because if you think about it, think of all the time that it takes for, for the motion capture artist to generate that that figure or that model before they put on the suit to do all the, the animation, the acting, like at, at the end of the day, it's not going to be perfect. Like you can't, you really can't take away uh, a film like avatar, like the hours spent on creating those characters to just being like, create a nine foot tall blue. No, I'd say now figure. in five to 10 years, the jobs are going to be eliminated first or middle management positions. The ones that once yeah. you could you could come in with the operations side where the not worked really hard, and then new companies are gonna come with not. I don't think this is a really this would dive deeper into Tyler Perry and reach out to Tyler Perry's publicist and have someone who's a spokesperson for Tyler Perry and say, what does this really mean? Uh something I might go on to Media Giant Marketing Podcast later today when I, I'm gonna be talking about uh Frank Fiore's book launch for Cyberkill the the book and then also he's launched it relaunching it again and then we're going to talk about movie but we're going to provide ai tips for so many people only 50 i think it's 40 or 50 percent of the united states has still even used ai yet which is yeah. really an, a shame because people are not going to embrace the technology it's much more difficult too it's really a haves and have nots process yeah so i would really want to go deeper into this article and say, if you're really thinking AI generated is going to be exciting for people to watch, no, they like the personalities of these celebrities. They like to hang out with these celebrities. I think it's a backdoor call. When I've told you, I've seen in the backdoor algorithm that now AI is not writing like robots. So I'm going to show you this after our, our uh, interview. I'm going to show you firsthand how it can write any plan, any program, anything, and you cannot detect its AI. And I think he's more concerned about the writing's going to be screwed first, but I have to dive deeper to see if he was misquoted. Uh, one of the reasons was Sora. He doesn't like the fact that it's going to put a lot of videographers out of work and different things like that. Uh, that's definitely going to happen. Uh, well, you're, and so, so, you, so like, for example, my agency uses AI and then uses a writer to perfect it. It decreases yeah, yeah. the time and money of employing certain people that took a lot of time and effort and weren't as creative as AI. Now, I will always use a writer in editing. Uh, Neil Patel talks about this, but go ahead, Lefty, last point. And then... Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I where where I, th I think it's going to be, like I said, the death of the videographer. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you can't have certain images, it, you know, we we resort to stock footage. Right. We go to places like Artlist. We go to places like um in, in Vado Elements or whatever other stock footage, Shutterstock and all that jazz. I I feel like it's just gonna be the death of that because when you can when OpenAI can give you anything that you want for let's say 20, 30 bucks a month, why am I gonna go pay Artlist? I think uh, OpenAI is so difficult with the, the the images. I was so excited. I said, cool, I don't have to deal with it. it they're horrible. It's horrible. It's not there well, at all. Yeah, I, I mean, think, but again, I think. they're still at the infancy. Oh, but see, how much were we going to let the infancy to do it? To really become a, a, a monopoly where only there's going to be an oligarchy of the only rich and then the poor? And that's where... I'm a fan of Andrew Tate, and I don't care if people think, why do you like Andrew Tate? But Andrew Tate says The Matrix. 
You're going to have to bust your ass and work harder than you ever worked before as an entrepreneur to survive in the next five years. If you are right. part of that infancy stage of this new technology boom and you run, you embrace it, in five years, you will survive. The rest are not, and they're going to be replaced. That's honestly the truth. Yeah. This is because, but you're right. There could be regulations. I've spotted this. Removing Altman from uh, the board was a reason because he wanted to just completely take over and allow AI to do its thing. Uh, yeah. Gemini is not allowing it to do it. So if you go to Gemini for developers, which again, the Frank Fiore book launch on March 5th will, I will demonstrate all three platforms and answer any questions regarding AI. You'll see it's dangerous. I, you ask it to build a atomic bomb, it will do that. It will do anything for you. When you're working with Gemini, Gemini is very good at saying, no, thank you. But if you go to the one that's still being tested, so if somebody develops an AI that they decide... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.